Hello and welcome to Punch a Hole in the Wind, a look at some of the great thoroughbred racehorses who have graced our racetracks all around the world over the last century or so. I'm Ollie Hine and it's great of you to join me on this exciting trip down memory lane. My aim is to both remind you of some of your heroes from years gone by, but also to introduce you to some others whom you may not be so familiar with. This time we're going to France and to the 1960s. Based on that info, if you know your horses, it won't surprise you that the subject of today's deep dive is Seabird. Now, there are a few horses over whom I agonised about their relative merits and whether or not they reached the threshold for inclusion in this podcast. Seabird was not one of them. He was an absolute. Like with a few other horses, he was more than just a horse. He became something of a near-mythical benchmark for ability. Owned by textile manufacturer Jean Tiernic, his breeding suggested that he would never get anywhere near such a list of great horses like the ones I'm going to go through, let alone vie for the top of it. His sire, Dan Cupid, did come second in the Prix du Jockey Club, the French derby, but he was hugely inconsistent, and on his mother, Sicalad's side, there were no female winners for four generations. Furthermore, Sicalad had a traumatic time foaling Seabird, as well as his siblings, before and after, and that left Tiernik with very little choice, sadly, but to sell the mare to the butcher in nearby Andely for the princely sum of 1,000 francs before Seabird ever ran. Tiernik had no hesitation as to where his horse should be trained, the stable of the outstanding Etienne Pouli, who was a highly regarded, multiple classic winning trainer, with his medium-sized setup never going beyond 50 thoroughbreds, and he was in any case Tiernik's cousin. Ever astute, Pulis spotted something early on in this tall, quite gangly two-year-old. An amazing, elastic stride. He eventually ran on the 2nd of September 1964 in the Prix du Blaison at Chantilly, running very green, but getting up to win over what was actually for him an inadequate seven furlongs. He followed up well in the Criterium du Saint-Cloud, before being given a shocking ride in the Grand Criterium by Maurice Laurent and despite making up a staggering amount of ground in the last 300 yards, he couldn't get to his stablemate Grey Dawn. Now, Pulley didn't mind, as he had seen that day that the Colts' potential for middle-distance glory was considerable. And here's the thing, Seabird never looked like losing ever again. So at two, he'd shown great talent. But at three, Seabird was borderline supernatural in his abilities. And he once again had on his back the dependable Aussie, Pat Glennon, who had moved from Ireland to France specifically to work with Pulley. So, as a three-year-old, he started off by warming up effortlessly in the Prix Grefoule, displaying that strangely high head carriage, which he did in all his races. He then won France's main derby trial, the Prix Lupin, by a huge six lengths, destroying the hitherto unbeaten Diatom. And Diatom, incidentally, would act as something of a really dependable yardstick throughout his career, which really helped measure Seabird's true greatness. So rather than staying for the French derby, Pulley chose instead to cross the channel to take on the Brits and the Irish at the Epsom derby, where, post-Prix Lupin, Seabird's reputation had caught up with him and he started a short-priced favourite. Everyone who was there that day found himself or herself using the same phrase. It had to be seen to be believed. It started quite inauspiciously, as Seabird was side-on when the tape went up. Not that Pat Glennon lost any sleep over that. 
because the ease with which he beat his 21 rivals without ever coming off the bit made an absolute mockery of this derby. Glennon barely touched him. And the winning margin was actually only two lengths, but you only have to watch the race to realise it could so easily have been eight or more if the jockey had shaken his reins just a tiny bit. In fact, he was actually under strict instructions. Etienne Pouli was aware of a road crossing the course soon after the finish line, and he didn't want his charge to damage his sometimes fragile legs by running really quickly over it. So Glennon was pulling up Seabird fully a furlong from the finish line. Watch the race, you'll see him do it. And furthermore, he was barely seen to breathe after his efforts. So he hadn't really galloped, he had sauntered. Be under no illusion as to the quality of that field that day. Meadow Court, who was in second place, went on to win the King George and the Irish Derby in the ensuing weeks. I Say came in third, and he won the following year's Coronation Cup. Silly Season was further down the field. He would win the St James Palace Stakes at Royal Ascot soon after. Now, to reiterate, there have been longer Derby winning distances, but there has surely never been an easier victory. The man, in fact, who got the best view was Lester Piggott, that doyen of British jockeys at the time, and he was riding Meadow Court in second. He was always rather parsimonious in his words, as he was with his finances. But he was asked in 2015, who was the greatest horse that he had ever seen in Europe? He simply came out and said, Seabird, Rebo and Frankel. They were the best in that order. Now, that's just one man's opinion, but quite an insightful one nevertheless. Seabird repeated this trick back in Paris against the older horses at the Grand Prix de Saint-Cloud, again without coming off the bid, and again being given a ride of supreme confidence by Glennon. From there, all roads led to an October date at Longchamp for the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe, which was already acknowledged by then as Europe's supreme middle-distance race. There will never be agreement over which post-war race had the greatest ever assembly of thoroughbreds at the peak of their game, but I would suggest that the 1965 edition of the Ark would surely be in any sensible person's top three. Aside from Seabird, Diatom was back, the unbeaten Prix du Jockey Club winner Reliance was there, Meadow Court too, as well as the US champion Tom Rolfe, and even the greatest horse to ever come out of the Soviet Union, Anilin. And there were plenty of other Group 1 winners too in that 20-strong field. As usual, Seabird sweated rather freely in the preliminaries. It's thought that almost every horse that day ran close to its full ability. But the result wasn't even close. Entering the straight, lit by bright autumnal sunshine, and whilst most of the horses galloped, one horse appeared to be cantering, and his head, as usual, was held unusually high. Seabird and Reliance pulled away. But only until Glennon decided it was time I thought it pointless to wait any longer, the rather phlegmatic Antipodean said later. By the post, Seabird was six lengths clear, despite veering bizarrely from the rails to the centre of the track, and Glennon easing him up to pat his beloved ride well before the end. Reliance, in turn, showed his excellence by beating Diatom by another five lengths. Those superlatives, first heard at Epsom, now went into overdrive. His performance that day was the highest rating that the Timeform company had given to a horse until Frankel in 2012. Although retired at his peak the following week, the strength and depth of Seabird's arc was confirmed soon after by Annelin, who came fifth, winning the Grosse Preis von Europa in Cologne. And Diatom then crossed the pond 
to win the US's top international race at the time, the Washington DC International. But by then, everyone already knew that the effortless contempt with which this lanky chestnut always dispatched his top draw rivals was something utterly out of the ordinary. Already, and despite his dubious breeding, the studs were salivating at the prospect of this wonder horse as a stallion, sadly ensuring that he wouldn't run at four, where, whisper it, he could well have been even better. There was European disappointment when an American syndicate, led by John Galbraith's Darby Dan stud in Kentucky, made Tiernik an offer he couldn't refuse, initially for a five-year lease, but it actually ended up being seven. Seabird was far from disgraced at stud, he produced one of Europe's greatest ever fillies, Ali France, as well as the hugely popular dual champion hurdler, Sea Pigeon, before Seabird's tragic early demise aged only 11 of intestinal blockage, just six months after returning to France. Such were his standards on the racetrack that his stud career would always seem comparatively underwhelming, yet by those performances at Epsom and at Longchamp in particular preserved for eternity, he had absolutely nothing to prove. But the final word I'm going to say today is going to be left to an unnamed arc spectator. Because in the sizeable crowd that day in 1965 was a 28-year-old doctor from Mauritius residing at the American hospital in nearby Neuilly. That man was known as Pierre, although to me he was simply dad. Now beside him stood an old French racegoer who was repeatedly shouting, Mais arrêtez-le, arrêtez-le, stop him, somebody stop him as Seabird's sublime stride stretched him away from that incomparable field. As Tiernik's colt and a million crossed the line, my father turned to his neighbour in the stands and asked why he wanted Seabird to be stopped. Because if they don't catch him, he'll take off. Now, no horse in recorded history has yet been seen to fly, but on that sunny autumnal day in the Bois de Boulogne, one feels that the aptly named Seabird came closer than most. Seabird was quite extraordinary. If you've ever got your hands on the wonderful book A Century of Champions by Tony Morris and John Randall, which was published in 1999, and I urge you to find a copy if you don't have one already, you'll know that using their calculations and methodology, they crowned Seabird as the greatest horse in the world for the 20th century. Those who know me have heard me say enough times already that I find these comparisons great fun, but I take them with a huge dose of salt. That being said, the point is... Seabird really was that good. Now next time, we'll go to a different part of the world and explore the exploits of another great horse from another era who could punch a hole in the wind. But until then, this is Ollie Hine signing off and saying thank you for listening. <laughs>